on my way here this morning, um, I turned on the radio and Oliver has this thing where he doesn't like me turning on secular radio when we're on our way to church. It's, it's like it's not taught by me, but he doesn't want, he wants to prepare his heart for getting, for coming into his presence here this morning. Um, but I turned on the radio and it was Drake's God's, God, God's plan came on. And it just, just, just this little snippet. And Oliver, right away, he's like, he's, he's in shotgun. And he said right away, that uh, changed the channel. So all he got out of it was God's plan, God's plans. And then, and then, and then it just, he changed the channel. And then, and then it was Chris Tomlin's um, Psalm 23 song, where even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for I know you are with me. And, and he goes to this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And he repeats that over and over and over and over and over again. And then following that, Pat Barrett's seat first. And, 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 and then we close there, and we have about a, a minute left in that seat first song. And Oliver and I are just like, we're closing out the song in the car, in the parking lot. Um, with Harriet going, can we go? Can we go? But, but I feel, I feel like it's almost, it's almost like in that instance, it's almost like in that instance, I felt God was, was, was speaking to me in a very random way. You know, we're talking about seeking his kingdom first. We're talking about him being with us. And we're talking about God's plan. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was seven minutes. And then I, I, and then I, maybe eight. And then I, and then I came inside here and I haven't renewed, reviewed my notes this morning. Um, do not worry. All right. About me, there's basically four things. Four. Th <clears throat> there are basically four things you need to really kind of know about me to understand me. First is that I have a family. I have a wife, Lindsay, and four kids: Ada, Oliver, Harriet, and Winifred. And I love them very much. Uh, the second thing is I'm a construction worker, um, and I don't like that very much. <laughs> Uh, the third thing is that I, three quarters of my life, I'm 44, and about three quarters, three quarters of my life, I have spent it at some Dutch Reformed church. Come on. Those things, and the last thing is that I know Jesus. I know him. I know he loves me. Through those four things, it's kind of how you can understand me. And it's kind of how I see the world. It's how I filter things. But what that doesn't mean is I'm good at being a dad or a husband. What that doesn't mean is that I ever pictured myself being in construction still. What that doesn't, what that doesn't mean is that I agree with everything from, this, from, from the Dutch Reformed um, faith. And what that doesn't mean is that I've surrendered my life fully to Jesus Christ. Even though I know him. Even though I know he loves me. I think that's a, that's a really important acknowledgement. 
what we, what we wrestle with in our walk with Jesus Christ is surrendering. We go to this place over and over and over and over and over and over and over again where the noise of this world drives us in one direction and we, we want those things. We, we, want, we, we feel pulled by the stuff. We, we feel drawn by the noise. So there's a surrendering and a trusting that we need to kind of understand is a part of what it means. It probably one of the greatest parts of what it means to follow Jesus. Trust. First slide. All right. Do not worry. Good. I don't know how Tom's going to lay it out. I gave him an order. That's it. That's it. All right. I want to backtrack a bit. We also have assumptions about each other in this church. At first glance, you can also think, you know, the entree here is <laughs> tilapia, cauliflower, and uh, rice. That's the, that's the dish. <laughs> Pretty plain plate. But we're different. We are different. We are different politically. We are different socially. We're different financially. We're different theologically. We're different in how we raise our kids. We're different in how we... We're, we're the, some of us are vaccinated. Some of us are not vaccinated. Some of us are half vaccinated. We're different. To assume that we come from the same place theologically, in particular, as we talked this morning, is not, is not a great assumption. I mean, it seems like common sense that if we're raised differently, if we're taught differently, if we're brought up differently, if we have different influences, if God has put people in our life that have spoken truth in a different way, in a way that we hear it, in a way that it resonates with us, it might be different from someone else. And as we grow in where we are in the kingdom of God, that might mean we hear things differently or see things differently. That might mean that some people define some other face, faith, faith with a closed fist, while others, you know, defining certain things as unmovable, unshakable truths. And some people might see that closed fist and say, because of my relationship with God and what I'm called to in this place, I'm going to remain with an open hand. And the reason for that is if I close my fist and you close your fist, we're not, we're not going to abide with each other. And we are called to abide with each other. So as we grow in the Lord, as we seek his face, as we seek his kingdom, we're going to have, we're going to interpret what we should be doing differently. We're going to be, we're going to be hopefully walking with Jesus and he will guide us in the direction we should go. We, are, should, we should hopefully be um, understanding that we are not supposed to be following each other. We're supposed to be following him. And that though we are saved and redeemed and called to be perfect, we are not perfect. So if this morning, this is my giant disclaimer all the way around, if I say something that offends you, 
if I say something that bothers you, it comes in conflict with something you've read in Scripture, don't let it be the last thing that's said here in this place. Don't seek out people in grace. Seek out people you know in this church, the Angela Cachambronis, the Susie Holomas. You know, seek out people, seek out Tom to understand where the leaders sit with this stuff. But I'm going to be coming at this from me. So what ends up happening here, uh, my, my desire in, our, in my heart is that we grow together. That doesn't mean we're going to, you're going to agree with me. So my hope is that you hear God speaking this morning. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Lord, Josh told me to be real this morning with who I am and help me, Lord, to be real with who I am. Um, help me not worry about where my hands are going. Lord, bless us this morning as we meet together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I'm going to skip a couple of slides. Slide four, if possible. Just forgot about three paragraphs there. All right. Do not, yeah, perfect. Do not worry about your life. So when we've often, when I've often heard people talk about and quote this portion of scripture, I hear God, us talking about provisions. I hear us talking about needs being met. But when, when I sat with this for a while, my predominant thought is, is that what he's talking about here is the most basic needs. The most basic. Not even shelter. Food. What's the other thing? Clothing. Food. Was that up there? Wow. Typo. Really? <laughs> Derailed. Uh, basic needs. Yeah, basic needs. I mean, when I first read this, my, the skeptical part of my brain, the skeptical part of my brain is thinking, well, birds starve, bird freeze, birds freeze, birds hit, hit windshields, birds, birds hit windows, you know, birds are found in my backyard dead. Flowers are eaten, they wilt in the cold. They die. Their lives are short. What are we saying here? What are we saying here about worry? What are we saying here about, what is God saying here rather than what we say here? Um, that's right. Trish kind of nailed it on the head it, with her little prayer chair. Um, but we worry about everything. We worry about and get distracted with health. We get distracted with death. We get distracted with disease, about discomfort, about the loss of loved ones. We get distracted, not distracted. We worry um, about hardship that's coming. 
we worry about this state of the state of the world right now. I uh, I think I've had more discussions about the state of the world this past year than I have in my entire life. And um, Katie, can we jump to? Can we jump to the slide? <laughs> Man. Slide eight. You are the one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And when we go into these conversations about the world, we, what do we sound like? What do we sound like? like? The moral compass, the moral fiber of this, the world is shifting. Culture is shifting. Language is changing. You know, financially, food prices, everything is going up. What are we saying? What are we hearing? What are our kids hearing? What are our neighbors hearing? We're scared. We're not just scared, though. Like, we're not living in a place that we're called to be living. When I read this, when Tom said this for the first time, was it the end of the renovation of the heart? I think so. He closed the sermon, and I was already up here. And the first thing I thought was, oh, nice. Second thing, almost simultaneously, I thought, I don't live there. And then I realized my loved ones might not see I'm living there. My neighbors don't see I'm living there. My coworkers don't see I'm living there. Where am I living? I'm not living in this reality. But I believe in this reality. So it took about a week to chew on it before I, th I started thinking, I've got, I've got a, for the sake of those I love, if nothing else, I have to live into a different reality. The dialogue, our monologue, the diatribe, whatever, whatever I get myself into, I'm not going to be feeding the fear that I struggle with into other people's lives. Because we get caught there. We don't just get caught there. I mean, for me, I was cycling in there. You get your, you get your phone and you, you, bump into one you, you bump into one person online and you slowly read one article and then it feeds you another article. And then it feeds you another article and it feeds you another article. And all of a sudden you have more in common with white nationalists than you do with Jesus. We got to be careful. This is, this is not a research tool. <laughs> but it hears everything you look up and feeds you more of it. So your bias swings from maybe one spot further over. Yeah. Our, we are, we've seen in the last several years, we have polarization that's happening. We're getting pulled into this unhealthy tribalism. This is not about Jesus. You know what, there were zealots that followed Jesus and they had hopes for him politically. And, uh, and he disappointed them. Yeah. 
His kingdom is greater. Our kingdom in him is greater than this place. When we get caught up with the idea that pension plans matter, but have we forgotten that the entirety of our lives can be, can be, can be seen in a pin tip when we think about just a snippet of eternity? The entirety of our memory of our lives in the pinprick, the tip of a pin in the scheme of eternity. So any financial planner who actually is thinking about, practically speaking, any financial planner is, is, is you know, driving you towards the last 15 years of your life if you live that long who believes in Jesus might be like, you know what? 15 years is nothing. Those 20 years is nothing. You know, even your kids' lives, they're very short. I often play into the, like I said at the beginning, I live in these filters. I see things through, through, through the eyes of, our, of my kids often. Even um, my convictions often come from a place of seeing them see me imperfect. And I wrestled with that, and I wrestled with that with people at work. I had somebody actually test, uh, share a testimony of Jesus to me after I had been cussing at work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, and I work in a basement alone with tin. Sound transfer. <laughs> the sound transfer. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, Oliver, Oliver uh, he gave me permission to tell this story. When Oliver was in the big Sunday school class with Brittany, um, they were given an opportunity to anonymously write down a question they had in their heart about, about Christianity. I don't know what the exact thing was. And he told me what he wrote down, and he knows, he knows how this works. He's like, he's like Brittany's probably going to know exactly it's me that wrote this question. He's gonna, she's going to know my handwriting is unique. My spelling might not be right there. She's going to know. So he didn't ask the question he wanted to ask. Instead, he asks, what is heaven like? What he did not ask was, is heaven real? And he wanted to. And it's not because it's from a place of, of struggling to believe what we have told him. It's coming from a place to need, of needing to hear more frequently than the noise out there that the kingdom is real. Yeah. If I'm not living it, and grandma's not living it, and grandpa's not living it, and my parents are great, don't get me wrong. But if, the, if, 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 I'm, if I'm talking about things that worry me, and it's okay, we're, we're going through this, we're journeying along. If I'm talking about things that are worrying and consuming my heart right now, about this present state of being. He is seeing it, and he is interpreting that with distrust for the Bible going forward. There is something that we need to recognize as believers in Jesus Christ, as apprentices with Jesus Christ, that it is not only about reading this thing. Any apprentice who only reads the manuals gets fired. Every apprentice. What we do, what we do is faith. Faith is an action word. So, when we talk about this passage, 
the emphasis should be right at the start. Right at the start. Do not worry about your life. Because this isn't about you. In as, much as, in as much as this is a salvation story for us, as much as this is a story of God's love and rescuing, rescuing us from the pits of despair and distress, as, in as much as that is what this is about, a love story, this isn't about my provisions and my needs. It's about his kingdom. This isn't about me, it's about the king. this really late last night. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> I'm just going to look at the slides. I'm not even going to look at what I wrote down anymore for a bit. Just to understand where I am. It's hard to trust though, isn't it? It's hard. To, and it makes sense that it's hard to trust. Um, actually, I don't mind it just staying there. Because I think this is this is the this is the fiber of what I'm trying to get at. This is what this is built on. It's hard to trust when we're imperfect. It's hard to trust Jesus when we compare him to other people. I want you to think about this for a bit, because this is this is something that I was chewing on this week, and I think it's important to know. When we, when I grew up, oh, actually, you know what? Go to the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, Lord's Day 1. What is my only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own? Perfect. I grew up knowing this. I actually had to memorize it. And then I sat before a panel of elders and they asked me if I was ready to make my profession of faith. And I wasn't. And the reason I wasn't um, is because as a skeptical teenager, I could read this and understand it and want to believe it fully. But I was let down by the people around me. And that's, that's not supposed to be a criticism. It's not. It's understanding that we in our, of ourselves are, in, are imperfect is okay. But resting there, I'm not sure it is. Like Jillian had said, we, we are called to perfection. We're called to be perfect. There's not, I'm not, there's no prescriptive point part of this. I'm not saying you have to do this. You have to do that. I wanted to say, I wanted to say the first and the last thing he says to his followers is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he goes, go and make disciples of all nations. That's where the, that, that part left, the, was left on the cutting room floor. Um, but when we see each other in our failings, and, and it affects our faith as adults, as getting older in the Lord. I think it's time we shift our gaze to Jesus and his perfection. We're not called to follow Tom or Josh or 
boss or Heather. We're not called to follow. We're called to follow Jesus Christ. And when we do that, so I think the, I think, I think, uh-oh. This is where winging it doesn't work. Yeah, let's talk about trust. We're talking about trust. When we do that, when we see each other as ambassadors of Jesus, we might, there might be a danger of putting an equal sign between follower and Jesus Christ. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Doing what Tom does. Doing what Josh does is what it means to follow Jesus. No, that's actually... Following Jesus is what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. So I think a lot of what we, a lot of what we struggle with, is um, it's not about the doing; it's about the proximity to Jesus. Yeah. So for me, I think it can be summed up this way. I all short of demonstrating God's love regularly. Um, and I want this stuff. And the noise is distracting. And go to this, and, and the worry is real. And I keep God at arm's length. And I work an extra 10 hours a week to cover the food bills. <laughs> and I work, and, and I, and I do all these things in my own strength. And I keep Jesus at arm's length. And when we do that, um, proximity, I think there's a math equation here, I wrote it down. Oh yes, super nerdy. I was like, it was it was twelve thirty at night. I'm like, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna re I'm gonna read it now. I'm gonna read it now, and I'm gonna be like, <laughs> almost. I did it here. I was gonna put it up there. All right. The greater the distance we keep from Jesus is equal to the amount of worry and anxiety and fear and inaction. That's, that's, the, that's the math equation. <laughs> Conversely, the closer we are to Jesus Christ, because this is the solution. The closer we are to Jesus Christ, the further away those things are that worry us. This is, this is, this is the solution. This is the solution to inaction, anxiety, worry. It's, it's a lot simpler. You know, we talk about there's no striving, and I think a lot of that has to do with, like, seeing each, what each other are doing and trying to keep up. And getting tired in that space because we can't keep up. You know, our situations are different. 
Um, but if we understand his heart, knowing he's near, knowing, <laughs> know that he's walking al along with us in our journey, bringing him closer to us, the things of this world will go strangely dim, right? And, and maybe, maybe you're like, okay, what? How is that possible? It's not going to change the fact that my grocery bill has gone up 15%. No, I won't. But what it will do, hopefully, is remind you in that still small voice, this is going to be okay. Do not worry about your life. It's such a weird thing to chew on. You know, like we're talking about food. I'm talking about, no, he's not. He's not talking about food or clothing. Don't worry about your life. You don't know how long you have. That's, the, that's how he kind of closes it. He's like, or at least the first part portion. Anyways. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. Do we have the, the song, Trust and Obey, there? Can you throw that up? You know, Tom and I talked briefly yesterday, and this was already on the list of things to talk about. And, he's, and he said to me, yeah, bro, it's not about, you know, we all... A lot of us are struggling with worry and anxiety. And really, it's, it's an issue of trust. You know, when I read, read this out, because I looked it up, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on his way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but, a to but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss or a frown or, or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or walk by his side in a way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. I was actually going to start with that and just say, that's it. Yeah. No. Thirteen, and I, I sense a tension a little bit. You know, things happen. 
this morning. And she said that really, I resonated with what she said. She said, you need to lay your heart, you burden up to the Lord. Like, you need to be real and yeah. share what you're, because that's what God wants, uh, to be, for you to be real. So that we, can, we can be at one with him again. We confess our sins, right? That's working on our salvation. And then I agree also with what you said, which was that we have to, we have to see past all this stuff in the world. We can't. We have to see it past to the kingdom, because that's the answer. Because you put it up on the board. The kingdom is what we need to focus on. Yes. Which is true. But I think there is a tension that we feel about being real and then living like we, you know, living as Christians and failing. Mm. And I think Second Corinthians, Paul and Kirk, says this, and give some measure of understanding and provision for our potential And I'll, I'll read it now. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work up your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what I see that is saying is that we're going to have struggles as long as we live here on earth. We will continue to struggle. And Jesus understands that and God understands that. But we can't keep our eyes. We'll go way above, but we have to be focused on what's in the end goals of God. Yeah. So... I beat myself up a lot for not doing the right thing, for saying the right thing, for stumbling or tripping. And we all do. I'm not saying we should continue to live there, because you said we should. We should. But sometimes we shouldn't always hard on ourselves. I think I think that's true. I think we can sit in a place of guilt and self self wallowing. And I think what often happens in that space is we, we in our shame, we create further distance yeah. from him. Yeah. And I think, yeah, when you do some self-examination, you can say, well, I'm not doing this yet, and I'm not doing that yet, and I'm screwed up there, and I said the wrong thing. And that dude at work was witnessing to me, he's, what is he actually thinking about me? Do, do, can I even tell him I'm a Christian too? We go to this place and my point is I'm not saying we have to be better not not in our own strength I'm saying if I have said if I've said that it's only in my own conviction that I have to try to not live in this world and in this fear and in this place I have to try to live in the kingdom of God and stay close with Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, in the last year, I have, I'm not wallowing in this place of, of remorse and regret. I'm identifying it as something that, that I, I should probably shift from. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, um, because I feel like in the last year especially, I've had way more discussions with Christians about the state of the union um, than about the good that Jesus is doing. So, I'm going to end with this. When God told Abraham, I hope this is okay. When God told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, um, he looked over at Sodom and Gomorrah and said, they're so full of sin. Abraham pleaded with him. He said, Lord, if, there are, if there's but 50 righteous people, 50 righteous people, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, yes, if there are 50 righteous people, I will save Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's, what if there's, what if there's less than 50? Uh, you know, 45. God says again, if there are 45 people, we, 45 righteous, I will spare the whole city. And then he starts pressing his luck, and, and to me, when I'm reading this, it's getting more bold. What about 30? Yes, Abraham, if there are 30 righteous people, I will spare the city. What, what about 20? Yes, Abraham, if there are 20 righteous people, Spare the city. At this point, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how this is going down. He's like, Abraham's probably regretting starting at 50 because he's like, and he finishes by saying, what if there are 10? What if there are 10 righteous people in the city? And the Lord said, even if there are 10 righteous people in the city, I will save it. I will not burn it down. We focus so much of our attention on what's wrong. Maybe, it's, maybe we need to focus on the light of Jesus Christ instead. If we focus on being amongst the righteous by dwelling with Jesus Christ, perhaps our 10 will be 20. And perhaps our 20 will be 30 and our 30 will be 40. And this town will look more like heaven as it does now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you now, I thank you for this. <laughs> yeah, I thank you for this. Uh, help, help us, Lord, in our walk with you to see you more clearly. Lord, when we, when we struggle to trust, it's because I think we don't understand you fully and your heart for us. Lord, I, I ask you to make yourself more clear to us every day. I ask for a continued progression towards trust in you, Lord, every day. I ask you, Lord, I ask you, Lord, for your presence, for me to see your presence here with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.